The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. As usual, I'm going to read our passage for us. We are in Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 20, and then we are going to read all the way up to um, verse 17, I believe is what I said. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth for the the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything but you shall not eat flesh with its life that is with its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I require of it and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and you, and with everything, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark. It is for every beast of the field. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the, of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Then when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature and all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Let's pray. God, as we continue to work through Genesis and understand who you are, we pray that we would be comforted and at peace and to live without fear because of your covenant because you have set a mark of your grace and your judgment and that we get to live under your care so i pray this morning that we would experience knowing you more deeply so jesus name we pray amen uh, I'm not sure, I assume most in this room, some maybe not, um, have signed an apartment lease before um, or at least been involved with one. Um, they are very tricky sort of uh, 
documents in the sense of like they have provisions both for the landlord and for the tenants, both to protect both sides of them. And um, they're kind of the most important to our daily lives, one of the most important kind of legal documents that we have. Um, and they uh, end up influencing our daily lives mostly because of how they're written, but then also depending on who the landlord is. Like if you, you can have like a good lease on your apartment, um, and then if you've got a stickler of a landlord who's going to drive certain aspects of that, it can be a real pain. Um, but the lease is written to protect both the landlord and the tenants. Um, so, for example, like some of you, like your landlord might say, like, uh, no pets. And you're like, but I love my dog. It's like, well, it's either apartment or pet, but you can't have both, or at least this apartment. Um, you know, some landlords that, or some tenant, uh, some leases are written to describe how does eviction happen or can you paint the inside of your apartment, those sort of things. Like they define kind of like your daily life in this place that you're using. And the reason I bring that up is because what we're talking about here in this passage is the idea of covenant. In the Bible, covenants become really, really, really important. Um, like really important. Um, and they're not like a term that we use a lot. Like I don't walk around thinking like, uh, you know, like, you know, my, my covenant with the church or my covenant with Michelle or my covenant with you or anything like that. Like we don't use that word a lot. And so we can kind of lose perspective. Like what is a covenant? Um, if you remember back in Genesis six, uh, verse 18, God says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you, Noah. And here in this passage, we have about four or five times Noah, God addressing Noah saying, I'm establishing my covenant with you. So that's what this whole passage is about is this covenant, whatever this idea of covenant means it's about God establishing one of them with Noah. And by the nature of the covenant, everybody else in the world. A covenant is one of the way, one way, main ways that God goes about telling us what it's like to live with him. It is, in effect, it's God's way of defining his relationship and promising who he is and what he's like with us and what it's like to live with him. Basically, here's my earth and you're going to tenant, be a tenant in my space, and here's what it's like for me to be your landlord. A covenant indicates that God is promising, he's binding himself to the people in a certain way, and so what we're looking at here in this passage is what is it like for God to bind himself in light of the flood to us? If you can remember what we talked about last week is that this whole flood destroys all the, um, the earth, and Noah watches watches his entire friend network, all of his family, except for seven people, all of his work life, whatever that was, home life, everything like that is swept away by the flood. Whoever his work buddies were, they're all swept away by the flood, and him and eight people survive. Everything is destroyed by the flood, and it is overwhelming, and it is catastrophic, and it is total. And so Noah, understandably, is coming to this moment with, all right, now that this flood has happened, what is it like to live with this God who I've just watched destroy everything else around me? Certainly an overwhelming experience, certainly a fearful experiencing experience, many other emotions, awe and wonder, but what is it like to live with this God that who is telling me, go ahead and get out of the ark? So what God is telling us in this covenant that he makes with Noah, this covenant, this binding of his relationship with Noah is that in the midst of this covenant, Noah can live in a world filled with grace and without fear. So I think that's what we're going to see in this passage. We're going to break it down in three parts, but 
because God has bound, bound himself to us, we can live without fear. And we're going to see this in various aspects. But here we're going to see how the mark of grace extends throughout the entire world and that, that, is the, that those are the measures by which God invites us to live in a world that he's marked with grace and bound himself to. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick up here in verses uh, eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 20 to 22. We're going to see that in the midst of God's covenant, he has a people. Who are God's covenant people and what are they like? Verse 20, now, God, now Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike, again, strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, my covenant shall not cease. That's what that means. It's uh, interesting here that as Noah comes out of the ark, the first thing that they do is effectively they have a worship service. Right? That's what building an ark that building an altar is. It's building an altar and worshiping the Lord, and God's pleased by it. But you'll remember from last week, you'll remember when we talked about the nature of, the, of God sending them into the uh, ark, that um, God gives them, hey, take these animals, these clean animals, and take them into the ark so that you can then worship me on the other side. They're taking what God has provided for them on the other side of judgment, and they are worshiping amidst their salvation for God saving them with what God has provided for them. It's, they've been saved from judgment because, because God pursued them, and they worship in their salvation because of what, because of what God has supplied for them. Right? That's, that's actually what we're, when we talk about grace, it's basically a dramatic picture of grace. God pursues them. He says, here's how you're going to be saved, gives them the plans for the ark, Here's how you're going to worship me. He gives you, he gives them the animals to worship God, the, the clean animals. And then on the other side of judgment that God saves them from, they then step out and they worship God with what he's provided for them. And God enjoys it. it, it it's a, it's a, a dramatic picture of what grace is like. God pursues us. He loves us. He saves us for himself. And then with the very grace that he's given us, we come on a Sunday morning and we reflect that grace back to God and say, God, you are worthy for all that we have. You are this type of God who not only pursues us from what we didn't realize that we need to be saved from, but save us from it and then give us the grace amidst all of the, the, the nastiness of our lives to pursue you, enjoy you, and like you. <laughs> and God enjoys this sort of cycle of grace where he pursues us, gives us the grace, and we reflect that grace back to God. This is the posture of worship. God has saved us. Yet Noah is said to have walked with God and been righteous before God, but you'll notice verse 21 still actually ends up defining Noah. The Lord, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Noah is not exempted. From, he's not like, except for Noah. Noah doesn't have evil intentions from his youth. We're going to see in next week's sermon how Noah does have evil in his own heart. So it's not that Noah is exempt from being somebody who's flawed. It's that he is the one that God pursued. He is the one that God 
chose to redeem. He is the one that God has saved through the waters of judgment. And Noah's heart recognizes, I've been saved because of who God is, not because of necessarily anything that I've done. He responds to who God is. It's imperfect people who worship God because of his perfect and good grace. And you'll notice here, I think at the end, it's interesting that he says that they worship God and God says, you're worshiping me for who I am. And this is basically what it will be like, verse 22, through all the seasons of the earth. The earth remains, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, the earth will not cease. This is, uh, when the book of Ecclesiastes, we get to, you know, the bird song, turn, turn, turn. I, I realize that, that that dates not only me, but like people who are older than me. But there's a famous song that takes the song, the, the words of Ecclesiastes 3 for every season, turn, turn. I'm not going to sing it because that'd be ridiculous. No, I'm not doing that. But the opening line is, for everything there is a season, a time of every matter under <laughs> under the heaven, Right? A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal. You understand the idea. This is that Ecclesiastes 3 is reflecting on some of these dynamics here in God's goodness from Genesis 8. It is, in effect, saying there is a season for all of life, and yet in the midst of all of life, God remains the same. In the midst of all the seasons of what happens in life, right, good, bad, Sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. Thank God that we're on the edge of spring. Is like today, like the first day of spring. Today's the official day of spring. Thank God. This is where that this is we're actually living in the change of this verse. This verse is talking about today. But in the midst of that, God is saying it is good to worship me in the midst of all of these seasons of life. And that's what we often experience, right? All of us come in this morning. What is it? Some of us carry on prayed for us this morning. Some of us are really happy about what's going on in life. Things are going well. Some of us are experiencing tragedy and loss, and some of us are experiencing frustrations in life, and some of us are experiencing, you know, all different types of seasons of what life can be like. What season are you experiencing right now? And what does it look like to experience that season oriented towards God? That's what his covenant people do. I mean, here's Noah walking out of the judgment of the world, onto dry ground and saying, God, I will worship you. In the midst of various seasons in life, God is calling us to worship him in the midst of what things look dif- how things look different. I'm sorry, excuse me for one second. Isaac, I want you to go in the back. Thank you. The point of seasons, bad or negative, the point is to see that in the midst of all of them, God remains the same. All right, so the next part of this section, Genesis 9. God not only has a covenant people, but he continues to have a covenant plan. Genesis 9, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon the earth, upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you As I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require reckoning. 
for every beast I will require it, and from man, and from every from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. This is a part of God's plan from the beginning. Effectively, God is restating what he said in Genesis 2 to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Like he's restating that with Noah. Noah is, in effect, becoming the second Adam again. Adam, I'm going to, Adam now named Noah, I'm going to restart things. Here's how to do that. And this is always God's plan, right? So for the rest of the Bible, we have in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and it can and all it contains, the world, and all who dwell in it, or Habakkuk 2.14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God's judgment of the earth and God's judgment of sin does not stop God's plan for the earth to be filled with the goodness of his name and the goodness of his presence and the beauty of what he's like. Sin does mar things, but that does not, that's not the period at the end of the story. God's judgment is always about renewal. Whatever he is exposing, whatever he is judging, is always about leading towards renewal in him. So here we have God's new beginning, but there's qualifications now. When God gave the the command to be fruitful, multiply to Adam and Eve, it was go out, make it happen, have fun. Now there's some edges to it. Like in my mind, I don't know why I just keep thinking of like the bumper lanes in uh, when you're bowling, like there's just kind of like hard edges to, all right, we no longer have a free-for-all. We're going to have to put some clear lines to this whole project of what it means to fill the earth with the glory of God. So you have, for example, right, uh, verse 2, animals and humans, um, there's basically a scared of people now, right? Um, there's not, they're not, apart from the Steve Irwins of the world, Um, there's animosity between humans, right? Like we don't just like walk up to deer and just like, hey, Bambi, how's it going? You know, um, that's why the whole movie Bambi exists, sorry. Um, (laughs) Verse four, right? You can't eat things with its blood in it. Like this is, the the Hebrew idea was that blood was where your, was kind of like what uh, represented your soul. And um that plays out through the rest of the Bible. And this is kind of where the idea of kosher eating comes from. When you see that things are kosher, it's been prepared and processed in a way where the blood's been removed from, from the animal. Um, verse 5 and 6, this is obviously uh, the, not only restating the value of human life, but it also states this is where uh, government-type uh, institutions have their seed form in. This is where the establishment of uh, judicial systems comes from. This is where you would uh, find... a the rooting of capital punishment in the biblical sense. This is where all these provisions of, all right, now we need to have a little bit of some more parameters and, and, and edges on things so that, for example, before this, people just kind of figured out their own rules on their own time. But here God's beginning to put in some governing rules. Here's some relationships of how you relate with the rest of the world. Here's how the world's going to relate to you. There's a little bit more some instructions. So God's covenant plans continue, but you'll notice that in the midst of all of that, it is, verse 7, and be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. God's covenant that he's establishing goes to the edge of the world. It goes to the edge of all that God has created. It goes to the edge of all that God loves and sees and owns. And that's the extent of what we call 
common grace. That's a the covenant of common grace is an idea from uh, theologians way past. This is um, evil is getting out of hand, but now God marks the edge of evil and says, "Grace, my grace is going to reign and bring order in this world to a certain extent. This is, I think, as we think about what does it mean to be involved in our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces, and in our families, this still holds true for our lives in Jesus. This covenant lives on. The earth has been fully orbed in God's grace. And so common grace, or you might call this God's long-suffering grace, extends to everybody in every place and everything. So, for example, in 1 Timothy 2, Paul says this. Um, Can we pull those verses up? First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Notice, Right? It's pleasing for them to worship God in this way, to pray for all different types of people in positions of rulership. For God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who God gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I appointed as a preacher and apostle and a teacher to the Gentiles in faith and truth. See, Paul, I think, is reflecting this idea of the Noahic covenant that God's grace extends in all these other ways, all these different places. It's not saving grace. It's not specific grace of knowing who Jesus is, but it's still grace so that there's a mark and an edge to how wicked and evil people can be. There's a mark and an edge so that it is all being governed and ordered by God towards his purposes and designs. It is, in effect, saying God's grace expands even to the places and people that we don't think follow God or know God or, or like God's things, and yet God still calls us to pray for them, that they would have wisdom from God, that they would walk in God's ways, that they would approve of things that God likes. It is, in effect, saying that God's grace is further out and broader than we sometimes think. The people that we engage with are first, there's a story of God's grace in the people in our lives that don't know Jesus before we show up on the scene. The people in your life that you think, I don't know if God could ever save them, or if they could ever walk with Jesus, or how can this happen, or all these different things where you're confused about how does God allow this to happen, or about how does God approve of these things going on, Even those things are marked by God's grace. There is a movement of God's grace in them before we show up on the scene. Now, if you were to take 1 Timothy 2 seriously, it's not to say that we don't talk about Jesus or bring Jesus into the picture. It says God desires all people to come to a knowledge of Jesus and to be saved. So God marks out his common grace in this world that we are called into. Whatever your week ahead looks like, every day this week, is still under this covenant of God's grace. Every moment, God has looked at it on the time clock and in his schedule and marked grace. Not as bad as it could be, even though it could be really bad. God is there with his grace, hemming it in. So when you step into it, with the redeeming grace of Jesus, 
You're not doubling the grace. <laughs> You're almost in effect. There's a double grace in that moment where, okay, God, what are you doing here? What are you inviting us into? What does this look like for you to show up? We, we look at our lives and think, this can get out of hand real fast. <laughs> Maybe this last week was crazy, and you're like, another one of these? Be very fearful about our lives. But God here is saying his covenant plan of giving grace to this world will never end. So we're going to look at here this final point, God's covenant proof to show just how true that is for God. God's covenant proof, verses 8 to 17. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I will est- I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. Notice again, I'm a, God's saying, I'm establishing my covenant with you, that never again shall, the, shall all flesh be cut off from the, by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. Right? So he's not just saying, you human people, like this is a public covenant sign for all the world to see. Between me and you, I, um, I shall be a sign for the covenant between me and the earth. When, it, when I bring clouds over the earth, the bow is seen in the clouds. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will remember it. I will, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. I mean, you almost get to the end of this and you're kind of like, I think we're repeating ourselves here. Because God is going out of his way to over and over and over again say, I'm establishing this covenant with you. This bow in the sky, which we all know is the rainbow. God's bow in the sky is a public sign that he is saying between me and the earth, I will never again bring these floodwaters and judgment like this again. He's over and over and over again saying, this is my sign. Now, the problem with me using the idea of like a lease to explain God's covenants with us is that nobody has a, like a, a sign for their lease. Like, do you like frame it and put it up on your wall? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe you do. To me, I just like, I wouldn't do that because I'd like to forget about those things. But it is important to keep around. But for example, like in a marriage covenant, we typically have uh, in Western American cultures, we have a ring that represents the covenant. Now, is my, my marriage covenant, if I lose this ring, is I, do I lose my covenant? No. Now, I might have other problems if I lose this ring, but it represents the covenant, right? It's a sign to say like, you know, that's, there's a lot of things you could say about the ring, but it reminds me, not that I, don't, I forget, but it reminds me I'm married. Um, and it tells everybody else, I'm married. You know, there, there's a lot of things we could say there. But this is kind of the more idea of what's going on with this rainbow in the sky of God's covenant sign. God's covenant sign is a public declaration. And the word used here for bow, we miss it in the English because we see this and we're kind of like bow. And we just kind of think of like this, well, that's a bow. The Hebrew word here is God's battle bow. It's what you go out to war with. It's what's just happened in the preceding verses. God has gone to battle with sin and wickedness in the world. 
And now what does God do? He's saying, kind of like at the end of the old battles where you have like war monuments and stuff like that, God says, I'm going to hang this bow up in the sky because I'm not going to do this form of battle again. And he hangs it up in the sky. And where is it aimed? The bow of God's judgment is aiming right at God's heart. So here we have in this picture, this startling picture that God will bring judgment. He's going to do it. God loves to give grace because that's the type of God that he is. And in this covenant sign of what he's giving us, what will that look like? It will look like God's judgment being executed on God's own heart, which we finally see in Jesus. See, this is drawing the outline of Jesus that the New Testament comes in to fill in with color. God gives the sign of covenant grace that leads to God's cross that is signed in blood. See, the rest of the covenants, there's five covenants in the Old Testament. There's God's with Adam. Man and, work, God, man and God work together, and Adam fails. Noah's is about God guaranteeing protection. Noah fails. Abraham's is about God guaranteeing a people and a place. Abraham fails. Moses is about God guaranteeing his presence. Moses fails. David's is about God guaranteeing a kingdom of peace. David fails. And then what do we get when Jesus shows up? I've thought about this this last week. What is the one verse that we read the most, or the one set of verses that we read the most as a church? It didn't dawn on me until this last week as I was preparing this. It's 1 Corinthians 11. In the same way, I also took the covenant after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When we take the Lord's Supper together, I, I don't think if we were to stop reading 1 Corinthians 11 now, it would probably take us like four or five years to catch up on the number of times we've read those verses together. We read those verses, I mean, there's 52 Sundays in a year, so we've read those for several, like a few hundred times. You have heard 1 Corinthians 11, the new covenant in Jesus' blood, the covenant of God's grace for you in Jesus' blood every week that you're here. Now, you might hear those verses and it's kind of like, okay, yeah, here we read them again. But the reason we do them every week is because we are people that are defined by the death and resurrection of Jesus who fulfills God's perfect covenant of grace for us. God in Jesus comes and binds himself to us as the new Adam. God in Jesus comes to us, and he carries us through God's waters of judgment. God in Jesus comes to us, and like Abraham, provides a people and a place for us to live and enjoy him. God in Jesus, a better Moses, comes in and secures, fastens God's, God's presence with us. That's why Ephesians talks about we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. God binds himself to us in the unfailing blood of Jesus. And in God and Jesus, as a better David, comes in and gives us a kingdom, not of war to dominate others, but of sacrifice and love for the good of others. This is how God's covenant becomes so critical 
and yet is so freely given to us in Jesus because of who he is and what he's done for us. Jesus is the culmination of what we begin to see here in God's covenant with Noah. So we started out by saying, because God has bound himself to us, we can live without fear. We haven't really talked a lot about fear. And I want to leave that for you to consider. What are the things that you are afraid of? What are the things that are scary, overwhelming, or maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by right now? I want to point out one thing about this story that I think is an invitation for you to consider through the week. Can you show me where Noah talks at all in this story? If you notice, we've been introduced to Noah since Genesis chapter 5, and not once has Noah talked. Noah has obeyed, but we kind of fill that in with like Noah talking. But this story, even the verses that we've just reading, did you notice how often it says, for example, chapter 8, verse 21, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of Noah's worship, the Lord said in his heart, verse chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, chapter 9, verse 8, and God said to Noah, right, verse 17, and God said to Noah, God is doing all the talking here, unending declarations of who he is and what he's like. It is, I think, an invitation for us in the midst of our fears, in the midst of the things that are overwhelming, in the midst of the things that do not seem like we could ever survive them, or we don't think that we can understand how we get through them, this passage says God's covenant binding himself to you invites you to listen to God more than the narratives of fear in our own lives. We don't control what tomorrow brings. God's there with grace. God invites you. Would you listen to him? Would you listen to his story of covenant grace, of his grace that is unending day after day? I do not know what the end of 2022 holds for us. And it's just a date randomly selected on the calendar, one second. But God is even there with grace. And whatever happens between here and there, I'm hoping that we lean into this pattern. Let us listen to God's declarations of love and being empowered by him for obedience, just like Noah did, for all the things that come this year. What does it look like to be us following God, leaning into God for the rest of the year? It is leaning into listening more to God than our own internal narratives. So I pray, as we work through this passage, that because God has bound himself to you, you can live without fear. Let's pray. God, as we've looked at this passage and seen your battle bow hung up, facing your own heart, I pray that you would continue to invite us to hear you, to listen to you, and to be defined by your covenant love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.